we had a marvelous Thanksgiving. We uh, uh, had uh, mom at one end of the table. I was at the other end of the table. Mom said, I would really like to have a, a general dinner conversation, which is great. I mean, we always talk over dinner, but that means mom has something particular that she wants to talk about. So uh, uh, I said, well, mom, what is it you would like us to all talk about? And mom said, I'd like for us to go around the table and each one of us talk about someone who's no longer with us and tell a story about something that that happened or something they learned from that person. And I'll go first. Which meant for the next uh, however long, mom told a story of her grandmother, my great-grandmother, who I was honored to know growing up. Grandmother Davis died when she was like 95. In fact, I did her funeral. I had already uh, finished law school at that point even. And um, uh, so uh, I had marvelous personal memories of Grandmother Davis, but to hear mom tell the story was just really good. Of course, once she's done, nobody else wants to go after her because mom is a master storyteller. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, boy, you know, say, hey, that's like, you know, some superstar gymnast saying, hey, let's all do cartwheels. Let me go first. And, you know, and then the rest of us sit there and go, yeah, I'm like, I'm going next. But we did. And the interesting thing is, whether the person telling the story was a, a riveting storyteller or was someone whose gifts lie in another direction, every story was captivating. And every story commanded attention. Because there's something about hearing about the past in a story form that communicates a truth or, or some dynamic that has helped change and shape and mold who you are. And so I, I thought it was a marvelous thing. And it reminded me a little bit of, of this. I guess I wrote the introduction to this lesson the next morning. So it was fresh in my brain. And Becky and I were in bed that night, and we were talking about it Thursday night. And Becky said, you know where Mimi, which is what my mom's called, you know where Mimi and the girls, which is the three of our children that we had with us, or daughters, you know where Mimi and the girls are right now? And I said, no. And she said, they're still talking. And they're talking about death. And they're talking about life. And they're talking about lessons learned. And they just basically continued the conversation from lunch or, or afternoon lunch, evening dinner, whatever it is. It's well, you eat like a pig all day long. So um, uh, it's like, no, actually with our family, it's don't eat, don't eat, don't eat. And you all line up at the starting gate and then the gun goes off. Then you race to get the food and you don't stop until you go to bed at night. So it's that eternal meal once you're allowed to start. Anyway, so uh, uh, Becky and I had eaten all out we could, and we were crashed out. And, and they stayed up talking about it, talking about life and death and the lessons uh, uh, associated with it and what it means to pass on. Now, my mom is in her <laughs> – I don't care if she's not here or not. There are some things I'm not allowed to say. My mom's older than I am. <laughs> and <laughs> – <laughs> and I can't help but suspect that as we all get older, especially dad having already passed away, that there's this focus that can go on. So anyway, it was fascinating. And Paul, while Paul's in prison in Rome, is where God wants him to be. That's where we left Paul in the book of Acts. But while he's in prison, not knowing if he's going to live through it or not, what history tells us was the last decade of his life. If Paul dies around 68 AD, Paul's in prison around at this point 60, 61, maybe 62 AD. So he's got maybe five or six years left. And he's writing letters from prison. One of the letters was the letter to the church at Philippi which Jared covered last week. The letter that we're going to cover this week is the letter to the church at the Colossians. At Colossae is the name of the, the town. We call it Colossians. 
but it's a letter to the church at Colossae. Paul addressed it to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae. Paul wrote saying it's not just Paul, but he had Timothy with him. And he wrote this letter. And it's it's while Paul's imprisoned in Rome. And it's a fascinating letter. If we put it onto our letterhead today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he begins. By the will of God. Grace and peace from God our Father. And this is to the saints and faithful brothers. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And it goes on from there. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things as we get started here. Paul doesn't simply say Paul or Paul and Timothy. Paul is very emphatic that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he's laying some heavy credentials out there. Second thing I want you to notice is his emphasis on unity. When he wishes the saints and faithful brothers and sisters, when he wishes them grace and peace, he does it from God, our Father. So Paul's including himself with them. Now the reason I want to emphasize this and show you the emphasis within the letter is because this is a unique church. Consider a couple of passages for just a moment. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 3 through 7. We're going to look at Colossians 2, 1. We're going to look at Colossians 4, 7 through 18. And I want you to see what, what we can discern from these. If we start with Colossians 1, 3 through 7. Paul says, this is where he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's already said, whoops, up here, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That same language, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith. Now, does that strike you as unusual? Paul says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and growing. Hang with me, it's long. As it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now look at what I've underlined. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. Paul had never been to this church. This wasn't Paul writing like the church at Philippi. Wasn't writing to a church where he'd ever been before. This is a church where he had heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. And so he's writing them. They had learned it from Epaphras. If we go to chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. As we go through this letter, look at the way Paul pours himself out to a people he's never met before. A church he never built, never visited, never guest taught, never guest preached. But he goes to this much struggle to write to them. A struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and all who've not seen me face to face. Now, let's keep going for a moment. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 7, the final greeting section. Hmm, there we go. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Tychicus must be who was taking the letter. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are. That he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, 
our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Onesimus, we read about in the book of Philemon. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. Philemon is a member of the church and evidently fairly well-to-do. And it looks like Onesimus not only ran away from his master, but he stole in the process. Makes it to Rome and is converted by brother Paul. And Paul tells him the converted Christian thing to do is to go back to your master. But while you'll be facing the death penalty doing that, I'm going to send a letter to him. He's a Christian brother. And he should be rejoicing that you're now his brother and not simply his slave. So Onesimus is going back and Paul puts that into this letter so that not only does does Philemon get the letter saying, uh, okay, he's back. You, you need to treat him like a Christian brother, which starts with forgiveness, but doesn't even end there. Not only does Philemon get his own personal letter from Onesimus, but in addition to that, the church has this letter read to them. So Philemon's sitting out there when someone's reading this letter, and the church is being told about Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother who is a slave to one of your members. No, that's not what it says, is it? Our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, the saints and brothers at Colossae. Paul was good. (laughs) I mean, that's just... That's taking care of people and the Lord's ministry. It is as clear an example as we could ever see of the love of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel being expressed in the middle of life's circumstances. All put together from verses that we would have a tendency just to read over because we don't know these people. Paul says that Onesimus and Tychicus will tell you everything that's taken place here. I'm sure Onesimus has a testimony to share. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So we already know that that reconciliation has taken place between Paul and Mark. Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you. Epaphras is who taught them the gospel. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, isn't this interesting? Paul not only has his own individual prayer life, but he knows the prayer life of his brothers that he's standing shoulder to shoulder with. There's a fellowship and an intimacy that Paul has that that should not go unnoticed. I bear him witness that he's worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha and the church in her house. Whoops. To the church in her house. Churches tended to meet in homes. They didn't have the big majestic buildings yet. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. 
And then he closes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Isn't that kind of cool? If we had looked at the Ephesian letter, by the way, if we look at the Ephesian letter and the final greetings of that, we read, whoops, that's Philippians. No wonder it's not in there. In the final greetings, Paul says, so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Whoops. Okay. I've got just a little too much coconut pie left in me. So that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and he may encourage your hearts. Some scholars think that the letter to the Ephesians might have actually been the letter to the Laodiceans. And it was an encyclical letter that was to be passed around. I have, I would, I would probably not agree, but they may be right. I don't know. What is interesting to me as we consider this is to look at how it went down. So I'm going to pull up a map. This is a, my handmade map. So it's not like brilliantly done, but it's here nonetheless. So Paul's up there in Rome. He's imprisoned. He's writing to the church at Colossae. Now, Colossae is upriver from Ephesus. And if we want to take just a kind of box in that little area right there, let's see if I can do it. Oh, first the, the road, go back. That works pretty cool. There it is. The quickest way to get to Colossae is to go down the boot of Italy on the, on the Appian Way, the Via Appia, and take it down to the boot. You cross over the gulf into the, 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 either into Greece and then you can take the road, but it's quicker to go ahead and sail through the isthmus there to Corinth. Then you cross over at Corinth, you come into the rest of the sea and you chart over from Greece at that point to Ephesus. You disembark in Ephesus and you just go right up the valley to Colossae. Though you do pass Laodicea on the way. Here is, uh, if, if, let me see if I can box in that area. And I'm going to put a little uh, uh, map that's got relief on it here for you. So if we blow up that little box area, you come into Ephesus. And as you come into Ephesus, if you want to get to Colossae, or Laodicea, you can take the road and go right up the river valley. That's called the Meander, Meander River. You ever heard of something meandering along? That's where meander, our word, get, comes from. That was the name of the river. And that river goes just like this. It's just back and forth. It's the Meander River. And it just meanders along. In fact, it's the river responsible for silting up the harbor of Ephesus. Uh, long drawn out, irrelevant. But interesting. So what happens is it's very natural. You would pass through Laodicea on your way to Colossae as you worked your way up the river valley, the Meander River Valley. And Paul sent this letter by the same hands that was taking Tychicus, that was taking the letter to the Ephesians. And it looks like he had a letter for the Ephesians, a letter for the Laodiceans, and a letter for the Colossians. Now, Paul could have written one letter and said, hey, you all just take your turns reading it. Tychicus, read it here, read it there, read it there. But Paul took the deliberate effort to minister specifically to each of these recipient groups. And that's what we see here. Now, point for home. No, you're not leaving yet. We're putting these in the middle of the lesson this week. At the end of Colossians, Paul will tell them to walk in wisdom, making the best use of the time. Paul was time conscious. There's a proverb that asks for wisdom, and, 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 and in asking for wisdom, it says, teach me to number my days. When we wanted at the library to bring D.A. Carson in to speak, D.A. Carson at first said no. And, and I, I thought, you know, I made a really good pitch. What happened? 
<laughs> he said, no. So I, I went to a mutual friend of ours and I said, what happened? And he said, D.A. Carson recognizes that he has this much time left on earth if the statistics are right. Could be this much. Lord could come back. All of that. But if the statistics are right, he's got this much time on earth. And he's figured out how many times he can speak between now and then. And if it doesn't make the priority stack, he's not going to spend his time on it. Because what he spends his time doing there is time he cannot spend over here. And I said, well, then we need to reorganize his stack. He needs to understand this would be a great blessing to a lot of people, a good use of his time. Once we communicated to him the, the way it, it would work to the benefit of the kingdom, then he said, I'll come. Never one question about, will you pay my speaker's fee? Never one question about what his speaker's fee might be. I don't even know if he has a speaker's fee. Because his concern is not the speaker's fee. His concern is simply, if I've got X number of bullets in my gun before I shoot one of those bullets, I want to know that the target is worth hitting. Maybe that's the thoughts of an older man. I don't think so. I asked my son, who's... 29 now. He was 28 at the time. I said, Will, I want you to read this book. Will's response to me was, Dad, uh, I, I, don't, I don't really want to. I said, I, no, no, you'll love it. And he said, hear me. If it means a lot to you for me to read it, I will. But I've done the math. I think I can read 1,726 books before I die. And unless it means a lot to you for me to read that, that's not high enough up in my own priority list. I got 1,763 books I'd rather read than that. And I don't want to spend one of those on that. I said, read the stupid book. <laughs> Walk in wisdom. Now, this also gives me a chance to tell you guys about an opportunity that, that Steve and I have been talking about that's coming up next November. It looks like mid-November. So this gives you one year to start praying about it, start thinking about it, and start saving for it if you want to. There is a town on the north east coast of England, almost up towards Scotland. The name of the town is Hull, H U. L.L. Hull, England. They've played at a church there some of our classes through off of the internet. The vicar or the pastor of the church there did a sabbatical here in Houston at our library and came to our class here. Maybe some of y'all met him. Uh, Melvin Tinker is his name. A marvelous man of God. A well-published author. Uh, a, a caring, sensitive, praying man who moved to Hull because he wanted to reach those who were lost. Now, Hull, England, if you go back 120 years, was one of the hotbeds of missionary activity from which missionaries were being sent out. It was one of the center points in England that was sending out missionaries around the world. But today, the church attendance in Hull, England, is the same as the church attendance in Japan. 0.6%. Not even one out of a hundred go to church. One out of two hundred. And so he went to, to pastor there and this little church of, I think, 20, 30 people, if memory serves me correctly, 
maybe 40, has grown to a church regularly attended by over 400. It's a huge church for Hull, England. Well, Melvin has asked uh, uh, for me to come over next November and to give a community lecture on why I believe in God. And I told him I'd be honored to do it. And I said, but I wonder, would it be worth me seeing if some folks from our class wanted to come too with the idea that we might be able to do some, get there a day or two early, maybe just walk the streets and invite people. Maybe be there to minister with people and love on them, encourage them, talk to them. He was like, wow, that'd be fantastic. That'd be so great. So write it down. I want to walk in wisdom. I want to make the best use of the time. To me, this is a splendid use of the time. And it may be for you as well. Um, So think about it. Um, uh, Start praying about it. Start setting aside some money if you want to try and do it. And if we've got one, two, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, I don't know. I don't. I think it'd be kind of hilarious if we just had Sunday school over there. But <laughs> if you all went, but whatever the number might be, um, I think it would be a tremendous opportunity. I got to tell you, I'm so thankful we worship at a church where there is such a focus on outreach. And it's never a focus on just the, the really cool outreach. Our church is focused on outreach in the immediate community, surrounding community, Houston at large. United States and world, reaching on all levels. And that's what I love about this letter. It's just, and I get there just from these little verses that otherwise, you know, you've got to almost be goofy to want to sit down and focus on them enough to put it together. But the story becomes really clear. I want each minute to count. I hope you do as well. Now, let's go back, pick back up. The second thing I want you to notice in this letter is Paul gives this prayer of thanks. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, in this regard, let's look at Colossians 1, 4 through 5, and Colossians 9, 14. Colossians 1, 4 through 5. I like this. And then 9 through 14. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Now skip to verse 9 for a moment, where Paul continues to talk about what he's heard about them. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We have a huge class here. And all of you have opportunity and ability to pray. And I look at the Bear family down here just because they're right here and they catch my eye. Three marvelous children with two parents sitting here on the front row. Blake, how old are you? 15, 12, 16, 15, 12, and 16. To pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the father. Who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at this. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
to personalize that. Not just read it as a Bible verse, but to recognize that there are people in our lives, whether young or old, to pray this very prayer. What a marvelous opportunity. What a great gift within Scripture. And look at the picture image that Paul's using. If we could go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. Here's the picture Paul draws with the prayer. He draws a picture that says, okay, there are a whole lot of people in this world who live in a domain of darkness. I've got to digress for a moment. Um, one of the things that we're working really hard to do, and I'm, I'm prayerfully considering kind of laying some of this out next week in our class, but I, I don't know that I will. So prayerfully consider that with me, okay? Um, the church is looking at, starting in January, going through a reading program of the Bible. Now, the reading program of the Bible is one that, that uh, with some help from a number of different people, I get to put together. It's been a dream of mine to put together what I'm calling a gospel-connected Bible. It's basically the entire Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, but not in the order of the books as the church has put them together today, typically, nor in chronological order, which is another way you can buy the Bible assembled, but Divide it up into a reading plan so you read the entire Bible in a year, but the reading plan is connected off of the Gospel of John, the book of Acts, and the book of Revelation. So you're reading a passage from John, from Acts, or Revelation each day as you read through the Bible in a year. And the other scriptures that you read each day are scriptures that are either support or, or illuminate or help you understand the passage that you're reading from John, Acts, and Revelation. And so I've been putting this together. This is, what did you do over Thanksgiving? Oh. So, for example, let's go to the PowerPoint for just a moment. Here is the current, this is what I call version 7.3. Um, this is 7.3 of January. And so January 1 starts out. And if you're reading through this, and, and the goal is when you do this plan, you'll read through the whole Bible in a year. Okay? So January 1 is John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then after that, you read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 3. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. And then you read Psalm 136. Praise the Lord. Praise His name. His steadfast love endures forever. He's the one who established and set up the stars. He's the one who set the earth. He's the one who created this. He's the one who created that. So praise His name. Then you read Jeremiah 10, which calls us into account in comparison to God the Creator. Or Isaiah 40, which again does the same thing. Job 38 through 39, where God says, Why are you questioning me, Job? Where were you when I created all of this stuff? What right do you have to be asking and challenging and boxing me in when you can't even tell me how I made the earth? You can't tell me how I did all of these things. Go to Psalm 104, and then you go to John, 1 John 1, 1 through 4. So that's your reading for that day. And this is like a Sudoku puzzle, where at the end of the year, you've read through the whole Bible. Okay? January 2nd, the light and life. You have two chapters out of 1 John. You have Psalm 27 and Psalm 36 to read. And these are profound because there is a, an entire biblical theme that John seizes on of the difference between being in darkness and being in light. And it's a common theme. And I suspect there's a good chance in version 8.1 that I will be adding this Colossians passage to be read. Because that's what Paul is saying here. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. 
We've left the darkness that John writes about in John 1, 1 through 3. This is the keeper where he said, or four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's what Paul's praying about here. And that's what Paul is saying. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. You can go into a room and turn on the light switch. And if the light is working and the light goes into the room, it beats darkness every time. There's not going to be a time where the darkness is going to snuff out the light. Now, the light may go out because of bad electricity, or if it's a candle, it could get blown out or something. But you just have light and dark. Dark never wins. And that's what Paul's saying here. If we could go to the PowerPoint again. So, in the domain of darkness, that's where we were. But there is light. The kingdom of the sun, S-O-N. Son. And Paul says that in here, in that kingdom of the sun, away from the domain of darkness, that's where you're going to find redemption. That's where you're going to find forgiveness. And that's where we have been set and delivered to. We've been released from the domain of darkness. We're now in the kingdom of the sun, the beloved sun. And Paul says, in that domain of darkness, those are people who are alienated from God. They don't have that fellowship, that intimacy. In the domain of darkness are people who are hostile in mind. Now you might be thinking, well, I know people who don't know the Lord, but they're not hostile in mind. Yes, they are. It's something we all fight. Is that old man. Hostile in mind. These are people who who do evil deeds. And Paul says, you've been, by the blood, by the death of Christ, you've died to all of that. You've been rescued from the kingdom of the uh, domain of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. You've been put where there's a life of holiness. You've been put where there's a life that's, where you're blameless. You've been put into a world where you're above reproach. That's what's been declared. Then he says, now live like it. Why on earth do you want to live like a creature in the domain of darkness? You've been set free. Live like it. Live where you belong. Live up to your new name. Christian. Christian is Christian. You're you're one of those Christers. Live like a Christer. That's what you've been set free from. And that's the image there. So, point for home. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, when I grew up, if dad or mom said something, they generally meant it. And they wanted it done. John's got... Uh, couple of boys, I suspect you've told your boys before to do something, and you probably meant it. John, for those of you who don't know, before his life as a judge, he was a, a police officer, a cop. And he's got authority written all over him. I mean, you got a cop and a judge all rolled into one. And if that doesn't work, he's got a wife that he's afraid of. <laughs> Rightfully so. Because she'll, she, 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 that doesn't mean nothing to her. He's just John. But you tell your kids to do something and you expect them to do it. And I suspect on occasion you've had to tell them twice. And I suspect when you've done that, you've probably said, don't make me ask you again or don't make me tell you again. Twice ought to be enough. Can you imagine three times? That's like the limit. I mean, that third time usually comes with consequences. At least when I was growing up, it did. Told you once, I told you twice. Now I'm telling you a third time, and this time I'm going to help you remember. Paul is telling you three times right here. He's not going to do it one, two, three. It's one letter. 
but he put it in there three times. He says, whatever you do, now he could have just stopped it there. Whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, but he doesn't. He says, whatever you do in word or deed. Now that helps you maybe in Greek mindset, things were either logos, word, or ergos, deed. You could divide the world into those two things. Anything a human's going to do is either something they're going to think and say, or it's some, think or say, both of those are included in logos, or it's something they're going to do. That's the totality of actions of humanity. Everything fits into logos or ergos, word or deed. And the reason I say thought is you think with words. So in the Greek, it's the same thing. So it's, it's anything that you're thinking or saying or anything you're doing. So Paul says, whatever you do, whether everything, word or deed. And then he adds it a third time. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Well, you can't do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about this? Yes, even that. Do everything. And if you can't do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, don't do it. Because in the kingdom of the Son... The only thing you're not going to be able to do in the Lord Jesus is in the name of the Lord Jesus is something that's being done back in the domain of darkness. We don't live there anymore. So don't do that stuff. All right. Now, back to the to the book for a moment. How? How, Paul? How did I get transferred from this domain of darkness? Well, it's by Jesus, and we know that. We're believers. They were believers. They knew that as well. But Paul does something tremendous in here. And I put it in your want more section but of the lesson, but I'm pulling it out, and we're going to do some of it together right now. It's 11.50. I got, I've already done two of the points for home. So I figure we're good for seven or eight minutes of homework together. Would you all do that with me? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look, we're going to start with Colossians 1, 13 through 22. We're going to look, uh, um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're, okay. We're just going to start there. We can go off the PowerPoint and, and, and we'll go to the text. Here's what I want to do. I want this book, this short letter is so centered in Jesus Christ that I'm going to take this pen. We're going to take this sheet of paper, and we're just going to make a list of what adjectives and phrases Paul uses in reference to Christ. Um, and as we do this, remember that the fellow who's writing this letter just 15 years earlier were killing people who embraced the name of Jesus. Look where God moved him in the last 15 years. So we'll start right here. And uh, I'm going to make that a little bit smaller. Can you all still read it if I use it about that size? Okay, well, that gives us a little more room to put my paper up here too. So verse 13, let's start there. He has delivered us, this is where we were before, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his, what kind of son? All right, so Jesus. Can't see it. All right, we'll go smaller here. Jesus. First of all, we have Jesus as the beloved son. Does that ring a bell with anybody of any passage of scripture? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, beloved son, in whom we have the redemption, forgiveness of sins. Now keep going. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of, of the invisible God. So Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, what does that mean? I thought Jesus wasn't born. Well, not firstborn in the sense that he didn't exist before. But Jesus has been born into creation. 
in a way unlike anyone in the history of the world ever has been or ever will be. And into that, we are reborn into the life that Jesus has as a human as well as God. But he's also uh, 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 exists from creation. We know that as well and before. All right, so we have firstborn of all creation. By him, all things were created. Wow, by him, creation. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So creation's not just by him, creation is for him. What else? Let's see. He is before all things. All right, let's add that to the list. He's before all things. He is in him all things hold together. All right, let's add that. Jesus holds everything together. He's the head of the body, the head of the church. All right, he's the head. Head of church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the beginning. He's firstborn from the dead. In everything, he might be preeminent. That's first place. He's first place. Preeminent. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So he is the indwelling of God. And all the fullness of God. What else? Through him to reconcile to himself all things. He's the reconciler of all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Oops, I didn't write it down. Sorry, I started skipping on my homework. Reconciler. Whether on earth, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called sons of God. Jesus told us that, and he is well fit to tell us. Uh, Making peace. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body. He's the reconciler. In order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Now, I'm going to skip us down to chapter 2, verse 1. Well, no, we can't skip down. Sorry. we got to come back over here. Let's look at 27. Well, you gotta, you got to get in the flow of this. Okay, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh. I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, of which I became a minister, uh, according to what was given to me, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations. Now revealed to his saints. A couple of different words for mystery in the Greek. This word is not one of like a mystery of a whodunit. But it's more the idea of, of there was a package and we hadn't opened it yet. And we could shake it and we could get some clues. But what's in the package, we don't know until we open it. It's that type of a, a mystery. And the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, how's God going to fix this sin problem? How's God going to fix this alienation? How's God going to conquer the domain of darkness and all the people who are in it? It's now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the mystery. Jesus is in you. The hope of glory. 
And we, we can continue. You can go down to verse 2. Um, where he says he struggles for the people who haven't seen him face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, the mystery, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge now, we could keep going, but I've used up my time. We just made it through some. Look at, look at what we got started here with. This from the man who thought Jesus was a charlatan until he met him on the road to Damascus. And it just keeps going. You can keep doing that homework throughout the book. If we go back to the PowerPoint, please. And what you will see is Christ preeminent above all things. And so that leads us to the last point for home. Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Me should not be on there. None of us should say me. That uh, uh, clearly has a typo. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means to me. I'm staying in the sun. I'm staying in the sun. I don't want to be in the domain of darkness. I don't want to live that kind of life. I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want my mind thinking that way. I want to be smack dab in the middle of the kingdom of the sun. I want him to renew my mind. I want him to give me the the wisdom. I want him to give me the, the strength to follow him. To make the most of every minute. I want there to be a Thanksgiving 50 years from now. When I'm 103, which means dead, probably, where everybody's gathered around the table and someone says, okay, what memories do you have of someone that maybe made a difference in who you are? And I would love, and I'm not there yet, but I would love for someone to say, hey, remember that old goofy lawyer we had in the family? He really wanted to make the most of every minute of his time. Make it count. That'd be a splendid thing to have someone say. And I want to work to get there. I want to work for the Lord and have God work in me and through me. Can't do it by myself. I'm not good enough. Don't even care enough. But by his Holy Spirit at work within me, he'll continue to make me blameless and, and holy and and, and all of those things that, that rightly belong to a son in the kingdom of the, the son. That's where I want to be. And I hope you'll, you'll join me in that effort. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you so much for securing for us through the ages such marvelously instructive, encouraging, resourceful words, holy words that give us direction, Give us strength, give us focus, give us uh, uh, motivation and, and uh, direction. And I pray that we'll be looking forward to every day counting in service to you. That whatever we do, in word or deed, we do everything to honor you and to live in your kingdom. In Jesus we pray. Amen.